What's up, Jets fans, and welcome to the first ever edition of Jet Nation Live. I am your host, Dylan Terman, and to the box to my right, you will see Glenn Naughton. Long time me and him have not been on the podcast together. I'm so excited to get back in with him. Glenn, how are we doing tonight? I'm doing great, Dylan. Uh, it's great to get back in it with you and uh, and start doing some live shows, see how we do. It's It's been fun. I've, you know, as you know, I've been doing some solo stuff because of, uh, you know, work schedules and things, but got sorted through that. Now we're going to try to kick these off with the season just around the corner and, uh, well, just days away now and plenty of questions for Jets fans to ponder, uh, you know, is, uh, from, from Robert Sala and whether or not he should be allowed to talk about injuries anymore uh, to Dwayne Brown now, as we're hearing, possibly he's missed the last couple practices. We don't know what the situation is on the offensive line. Never a good thing coming into an opener. And lots, lots to go over. I mean, should should be a a, a a show with plenty of topics. And as we've said, and as fans will hear, we're going to do a little bit of a, a little bit of college prospect talk every week. We're not going to go too crazy, you know. We're not going to talk forty five minutes to draft every week, but we'll do ten or so minutes on players we like and and college matchups to watch, and uh, and just add a little something more to the show, and hopefully have a good time doing it. Yeah, I'm super excited. It's like new season, new us, new look here at Jet Nation. So I'm totally fired up to kick it off. Yeah, some of the topics we got tonight. Obviously, we're going to get into the Ravens game. We're going to get into some draft talk. But I think first we need to address this injury situation because everything that we hear coming out of Rob Sala's mouth seems to be just so such such a fake statement. Like you can almost not take it for seriousness. And it, this is multiple times now. I don't know if it's just me or should we start blaming him personally or is this bad information he's getting from other people? So I just wanted to start with that first and foremost because I think that's depressing news. And I and I just wanted to get your take on the whole situation. Is Sala just not allowed to talk about injuries anymore or should we start just completely ignoring anything he says about injuries? Well, listen, you know, it's frustrating and I get that. And I said that after the, after the second Becton injury this year. Um, and now it happens again with Zach Wilson. I don't I don't think Robert Sala is just saying what he wants to say. I think he's going off what the medical people are telling him. So that's my con- like I don't think I don't think Mikai Becton got hurt and the medical team said he's gonna miss the year and Robert Sala came out and said off uh, five to eight weeks. Like he's he is giving he's passing along the information he's being given. But the, so my concern more is, is with the medical staff than it is with Sala. Um Unless, you know, the, the Zach Wilson thing was was especially weird, you know, to say one day he might start the opener and what, 24 hours later? Oh, what I meant to say was he's going to miss the first four games or three games. So bizarre. And it's either someone someone is bad at their job. We just don't know who it is. Um, and it's looking more and more like it's the medical staff. I don't know how you, you know, it, and these are these are big injuries, like long term injuries to key players. And they're nowhere near being right. Um, you know, if someone said to me, oh, I think it's just Robert Sala being too optimistic. That's not his job. It, listen, if you want to just lie for the sake of lying to, you know, keep the other team off balance, whatever. But I don't need a coach coming out and giving a, a prognosis based on what he feels or how he what he believes. Like, what are the medical people saying? Um and it, it's just a, a – and, you know, Zach Wilson, I don't know if you saw this, he kind of he kind of dropped the ball yesterday. He, you know, of course, he backtracked and said he didn't mean it, but they said to him, when did you know you weren't playing till week four? 
And he said, they told me when I walked out of surgery, mm -hmm. you know, like, so they've known this for a while. Um, and for whatever reason, again, may, maybe he thought Baltimore would plan for both of them and all this, but you know, it, it's not as if, um, I don't know, it, it's not, you're not exactly going, you know, hiding the fact it, it's not like you've got Patrick Mahomes and you're saying he might not play. Right. Like as much as we support Zach Wilson and want him to do well, he's not a guy at this point anyway, who's keeping anyone up at night. Mm -hmm. um, and I think after the damage, the, the Makai Becton injury did in terms of whether or not we can trust this team's medical staff and head coach, I think it would have been in their best interest to be more upfront about it. They weren't. Will it matter on? Listen, win a couple games and everyone will forget about it, you know? Um, but yep. as of right now, I think Salah, if it's his optimism, he needs to tone it down. We don't, I don't, we don't need player prognosis based on emotions and what we hope. Mm -hmm. um, just let us know what the docs are saying. Um, or just say nothing. Say, look, I don't know. Don't know. Don't have an answer. He'll play when he plays and leave it at that. But these, these, these forecasts that are just way off the mark, it's, it's discouraging. And it, it and if it's not the doctors, like I, I'd be pretty upset right now if I'm, if I'm a team doc or someone on the medical staff, and the coach keeps going out giving these timelines that aren't realistic, and it makes it look like the, the docs don't know what the hell they're doing. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. Like, I don't want to necessarily blame Sala for being optimistic because, like you said, it is not his job. He is the head coach. He just needs to manage and coach the players. He doesn't need to diagnose and give prognosis on all these players. But this is a relatively new medical staff as far as I'm concerned. I'm pretty sure they've only been here for a couple of years, so that's not a good look. I know we've had medical issues in the past. I was listening to another Jets podcast, and they mentioned Colecio Semele and Quincy Anunua. So that predates Robert Sala as far as injury weirdnesses go. But it's just it's a recurring theme that I think we need to get over. And we're already a bad, a, not a great team as it is. So you can't just have these little things that affect you. When you're winning games, it's easy to say, oh, two to four weeks, and it turns out to be seven weeks because that's what it's going to be. If he doesn't play until Pittsburgh, seven weeks since the Philly game. That's a long time. So to go from season-ending injury to, oh, we're going to downplay it to a trim to seven weeks, that's not a good look. So it's it's tough for me. I don't know exactly who to blame either, and I want to give everybody the benefit of the doubt, but it's just it's wearing on me to the point where I don't know what to believe anymore out of these press conferences is even worth watching, you know? So. I mean, really nothing, you know, that that's, that's right. the lesson, you know, is that whatever they say, just believe a guy's going to be back when they say he's playing Sunday. And even then wait till kickoff. Um, you just don't know when these guys are going to suit up. Um, whether it's the medical staff screwing up or Robert Sala screwing up, somebody's gotten it to the point now where the, the next time they give us a time frame on, on an injury, it, people are just going to laugh. Right. Um, which brings us to Dwayne Brown, which, of course, we have to cover. What are your thoughts there? I was going to say getting into more injuries, I think he's the next most important because I had him in my my preview for the Ravens as a matchup that we need to be, keep an eye on because we have right and left tackle that we have no idea about. So the fact that he has two days now no practice with a shoulder injury, at first I thought it was rest until I saw it was a shoulder yesterday. And mm -hmm. then it came out that it was a shoulder and then two days now – in a row, no practice. I'm nervous. I don't want to see Max Mitchell at left tackle, and I certainly don't want to see Connor McDermott at left tackle. I know you tweeted out um, fan at left tackle and Mitchell at right tackle, and I'm okay with that. I think Max, Max Mitchell can get you out of a game at right tackle in the second half of the season. I don't know if he can do it in week one. I feel like he's so green yet that 
their their pass rush in Baltimore is not great. It's probably one of their weak points on their roster, and we'll get into mm-hmm. that. But they're veterans. They know how to take advantage of your weaknesses. And as soon as he starts lunging or reaching and getting out of step and he's too far outside, they're just going to take advantage of him. So I don't want to see either McDermott or Mitchell. So I'm praying that Brown is okay and they're just taking it super cautious like they did in Seattle with him. He didn't play full weeks of practice in Seattle much of his career. So to me, I'm hoping I'm just holding out and I feel like that's the only thing we can be going into week one is hopeful. So to me, I'm hopeful. I don't know about you, but that's kind of where I stand. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful, but a guy missing two days right before kickoff Mm -hmm. is pretty discouraging. So I'm assuming he won't be a go. Um, I can see with the jets luck, I can see it being a situation where they play him and he, whatever he's, whatever's bothering him gets worse. And then he misses six weeks instead of a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. I mean, that we'll, we'll see what happens, but, if I'm, you know, looking at this roster up and down, having Max Mitchell start week one is far from ideal, but uh, mm-hmm. Connor McDermott's not very good. So if they were to go Fant left tackle and then Mitchell at right, I, that that would be my preference. Mm-hmm. And I still say, man, pay George Fant. Like, if you move him yeah. to left tackle for the opener, how many times are you going to ask this guy to bail you out and then not pay him? Like, yep. give him the money. Give him what he deserves. Solid player. You know, above average left tackle. He's a solid right tackle. And he can flip flop either side. There's not a lot of guys that can do that and play at the level he does. Give the man his money. Um, I, I would imagine the sticking point is probably fans probably looking at it that I'm I'm a starting left tackle caliber player and that's the money yeah. I want. Um, which I don't blame him. Why wouldn't he? So, but yeah, I think I think if if uh, if he's a no go, then I go Fant on the left side, Mitchell on the right, and and it's it's a it's a weird thing, right? Because for all the praise we give Joe Douglas and deservedly. So I know I still see people, you know, some people just kind of decide from the outset, they don't like someone. Uh, Someone said to me the other day, uh, he should have, he, he should be gone because of his draft in 2020. Like what about the two since then? We just going to pretend those didn't happen because they don't fit the agenda. Um, Joe Douglas has done a fantastic job in a lot of ways, but then he has this, you know, where he, he really didn't address the tackle position as aggressively as I thought he should Mm -hmm. have. And it's almost like, well, I mean, his first years, like Ryan Khalil was a disaster, but I kind of get it. He's an old line guy. He didn't believe in Jonathan Harrison, who was a solid but not spectacular player. And he wanted a veteran center, but that blew up in his face in a big way. Um, And it's just, it it seems like a glaring need where, you know, you kind of went with Grant Hermans and, and, you know, the rookie Max Mitchell, um, knowing Becton's injury history. You know, you were lucky to fall into Dwayne Brown. But um, it probably shouldn't have gotten to that point. And, you know, as others have pointed out, um, Scott Mason, who's a friend of our show, uh, he he put out a list of free agent tackles and said, you know, whatever you think of these guys, whether they're too old or too slow or they don't fit the scheme, like the one thing they all have in common is they're all better than Connor McDermott. And for whatever reason, Joe Douglas has this thing for Connor McDermott that he keeps bringing him back. Um, I saw a number on him. He gave up like eight pressures on 50 snap, 50 pass reps last year. That's atrocious. That's so that bad. Is, that is terrible. Um, so it's a little bit scary that he's back on the roster and he might see the field. Um, and that's, you know, Joe Flacco will will not have an easy time of it if Connor McDermott is starting, starting left tackle. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not a good look for week one, especially when – the whole point of the off season was to get these off offensive linemen together and gelling before the season opener. So mm-hmm. not a good look, um, but elsewhere on the roster, as far as injuries, 
Um, I know this was a couple days ago, but Vinny Curry was placed on IR. Marcel Harris takes his spot on the active roster. Mm-hmm. And then we mentioned it before, Connor McDermott was brought to the active roster and they released Bam Knight, but they brought Knight and then Deontay Spencer and a tackle Eric Smith back, back to the practice squad. So those are some roster moves, some injuries. Today at practice, obviously Dwayne Brown we just mentioned. Connor McDermott was limited with an ankle. George uh, Fant was limited with a knee. DJ Reed was limited with a knee and Justin Hardy was upgraded to a full with a calf. So another offensive lineman on, on the injury list on a Thursday, and we only have one more practice. So we'll probably only get one more practice report or injury report out of that. Mm -hmm. So if Connor McDermott doesn't play full this week, are we going to even say that he can play week one? Are we down to three tackles on the roster? It's it's really concerning, with, especially with Fant. I think Fant should be fine. Limited practices for him, I feel like, are more, you know, rest for veteran. But McDermott on the injury report already makes me nervous. So where are we at with, with tackle if he can't go, you know? So it's, it's not a yeah. good look going into week one already, so... Injury. It's not. It's not. I mean, if 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 you have two tackles who can't go already, and then one of them gets dinged up in game, I think you're gonna. I think we'll see a AVT slide over to left tackle where he played uh, USC as a senior, um, and and just some shuffling along that old line. But again, it's as much like I said, as much as we've praised Joe Douglas, um, the tackle situation not ideal. Uh, like I said, you you kind of lucked into Dwayne Brown, or so we think, and or so we hope if he right. can go. Um, but not a lot behind them. But at the same time, you know, I, you know, keeping it being fair to Joe Douglas, it's not as if there's a bunch of NFL teams running around with like a high level third and fourth string tackle. You sure. know what I mean? Yep. Um, did he did he gamble a little too much with Becton? Probably. <clears throat> um, even though you know I'm not going to do the revisionist history thing here. I, I thought Becton yeah. was going to get healthy. I thought he was going to yep. get in shape, which he did. Um, didn't know he was going to, you know, have another knee injury. So, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I was saying all off season to bring in seven left tackles, but, but I do think Joe Douglas, you know, and I've said before, like Grant Herman's, he even, even with a year under his belt last year on the practice squad, he's still a project to me. Um, Max Mitchell again is, is a guy on the right side who's probably not ready to start, but we'll find that we might find out if it was lip service, you know, because the Jets offensive coaches were saying weeks ago that, they couldn't believe how quick he was picking things up and he was so far mm-hmm. ahead of where they thought he would be. And look, they say this stuff about rookies all the time. And sure. Sometimes, sometimes you get to find out. And if, if uh, he gets thrown into action, we will find out, but it, it'll, it can get scary on that old line. If, if they're down a couple tackles and someone else gets dinged up during the game. Yep. All right. One more roster note before we get into the Ravens preview. And I think this is a big one. CJ Mosley had a contract restructure earlier in the week. And he went from the highest 2022 cap hit on the team of over 17 million to now the 10th highest at 5.5 million. It added two void years. So that's now the second contract that Joe Douglas has done this offseason that has included void contracts. The first obviously being Dwayne Brown. Um, CJ Mosley carries a cap hit of 21.4 in 2023 and 2024. So it does not look like he's going to be off the roster until 2024, at least in my opinion. But it also frees up just shy of 12 million this season in cap space, which could allow them flexibility at the tackle position like we were just talking about perhaps elsewhere. So I just wanted to see your thoughts on CJ Mosley as a whole and the restructure and what you think, how long you think he's going to be here with that restructure. 
Well, I mean, I, I think it keeps them on board next season. Um, and then I think they void the void years after that. And I think this was, uh, you know, it, you freed up what 11, 12 million, but in all reality, they were what close to 3 million over. So they had to free up right. three. I think it was 2.8 or something like that. Um, and by, but by doing that with Mosley, you know, as we always say, teams like to have that, that little bit of wiggle room and flexibility with the cap when the year opens up. So you like to be kind of 5 million under to, to begin with. So in all reality, it gave the Jets four or 5 million to spend. Um, probably if they were willing to spend, you don't want to spend to the cap. Um, right. So you had to get three under, you want to have five to play with. So that's 8 million. So you, it really doesn't, it's not, you know, I saw people say, Oh, we have 12 million. Now what are they going to do with it? Um, they're not going to go out and spend it. They're going to mm-hmm. put some of it aside and they're going to, you know, again, some of it to get them under the cap. But I, I think Mosley's around next year, and then I think I think that's it after that. I'm surprised. I am surprised they did this. I thought if they needed to free up a few million, they'd find another way to do it, and then move on from paying a linebacker as much as they're paying Mosley. Obviously, now that this keeps them on board, I thought maybe middle linebacker is something they do in the top three rounds in the draft. I don't think that's the case now. Um, you know, not impossible, but I think it's less likely now that Mosley's around for another year. So it's it's not quite as much money as it sounds like, but the Jets are in position now to make a move if they decided to. Um, you know, you're not. It's not as if anyone's going to trade you a starting left tackle before the season starts. So you are talking about free agency, and there are some guys out there. As I said, you know, they're they're not great, but they're better than than Connor McDermott. You know, whether it's Nate Solder mm-hmm. or Brandon Shell. You know, if you bring Shell in to play right tackle and and move Fant back to the left side again, mm-hmm. whatever it may be, um, there are some options out there. Yeah, um, to me, I was surprised as well at the void years. This is now five total void years between Dwayne Brown and C.J. Mosley. Um, I'm not obviously nuanced in all of the contract speak. I just use spot rack to as my guide. So the the void years, I seemed like it seems like something a team that is very pressed for cap use to help them in a win now situation. I see a lot of teams that are in more win now situations using these void contracts. So I'm very surprised. I don't you know you don't usually see like the lions and the bears of the world try to use void contracts. So I'm very surprised that the jets are doing this early. And yeah, like you said, the 12 million is not 12 million on the surface. You had to get out of the, out of the red and they're going to want to carry some, at least a little bit into next year, I would assume 2 million at the minimum or whatever. So it's not full flexibility, but it gives you some this year. And then from Mosley's perspective, the dead caps are 14.9 in 2023 and 10.4 in 2024 so if they release him after june 1st i believe they can split that 10 million of 2024 into 2024 and 2025 so they can you know play with the dead cap a little bit there there's ways to minimize the impact of the dead exactly so i i kind of agree that 2023 might be his last year despite what the contract says so that's a good point there but yeah, overall, I was just surprised at the Mosley thing. And uh, we knew it was a bad contract. And he's obviously, Joe Douglas just has to clean up the mess of Mike McCagnan one last time. So right. if, if this is the last void contract we see, you know, hopefully next offseason, we don't have a ton of these. If there's one, okay, maybe. But yeah, I think it's not a good look to start getting into void contracts when you're a four-win team hoping for more wins in this season. Yeah, it's, it's just basically, it's a, basically a tool teams use when they when they need to spread some money out over more years or to, you know, to reduce a cap hit. And that's all they were doing here. Again, it did surprise me. I thought, you know, I'd said for a while now that this would be Mosley's last year, you know, unless he went out and had sort of an all pro season, I thought this might be his last year with the jets, 
this keeps him around for at least another year, which is fine. He was, you know, he was a good player last year. And, uh, and I'm excited to see him against this Ravens, you know, this Ravens offense for uh, the team that he came up through the, uh, through the system with that he was drafted with and had so much success. Exactly. And I think with that, we'll move right into it. It's a revenge game for C.J. Mosley, and it's the Ravens preview week one. Um, it's a one o'clock game. Baltimore is favorited in this game by six and a half points. This is off FanDuel Sportsbook app. Six and a half point underdogs for the Jets, and the over-under is 44 and a half. Um, it's a one o'clock kickoff, and if anybody's interested, the announcers are Andrew Catalan and James Lofton. I've seen Twitter already ripping James Lofton for not knowing entire team's rosters on broadcast, mm. so that's great. Um, we're looking at 81 degrees Fahrenheit, 5 to 10 mile an hour winds, and a 6% chance of rain at MetLife Stadium. So it should be, you know, sunny, balmy conditions in New Jersey for, for football. And the referee is Craig Rolstad. He's a veteran referee, so at least it's not a new guy. Um, my, my, my first thing that I did when I saw we were playing the Ravens was I saw I went to their home openers since 2018. And I mentioned this on Green Beans Thursday Thick of It last week. I'll go mm -hmm. a little bit more into depth this week. But the Ravens in season opener since 2018. So going back, that's one Joe Flacco year where he started in 2018. And then the rest are Lamar. 47-3 to in 2018 over the Bills. 59-10 to over the Dolphins in 2019. 38-6 to over the Browns in 2020. And last year on Monday Night Football, an overtime loss in Las Vegas to the Raiders, 27 to 33. So in those last four openers, they outscored opponents 171 to 52. Average yards per game were 449.7 to 287.5. And their total touchdowns were 23 to 6. So not looking great. I looked at the Jets Ravens history to try to find a little bit more comfort. Not so much. Nine and two against the Ravens historically. And two the and Ravens. Uh, yes, I'm sorry. I was looking at it wrong. Yes, yeah, the Ravens nine. are nine and two against Yeah, the Ravens are nine and two against us. Yep. Outscoring us 248 to 156. So that's not terrible. It's not terrible. Um, we've lost four of the last five. Our last win was in 2016. I actually happened to be at that game. Geno Smith hit Quincy Anunua for like a 79 yard slant route for a touchdown. Absolutely bonkers. And the most that, recent... that was the game when, when Geno got hurt, wasn't it? Yes. I was at that one too. They were trailing and Fitz came in and got the win. Yep. Yep. It was a great game. Yep. Yep. And then uh, their most recent matchup was in 2019. Um, they lost 42 to 21. So, History has shown that not necessarily in our favor. Um, Baltimore obviously starts hot. That's what I got from that. They're going to start hot. And I think the Jets are not a great team for teams that start hot. We're, they're probably licking their chops just from my perspective. I think that they're possibly even overlooking the Jets, and that might help us. It's going to be September 11th. There's going to be emotions way higher than anybody can expect. So – I think the Ravens, you know, they're going to they're gonna give us everything they have. We talked about it off-air yesterday that they're probably one of the best coached teams all around in the league. So just from hearing those stats alone, I just want to hear your thoughts, and then we'll dig a little bit more into the roster and matchups and stuff. Well, I think the biggest unknown is, I mean, really, there's an endless list with the Jets because so much of what they're putting out there is going to be new. Both the starting corners are going to be new. 
you know, both the starting safeties are going to be new. You're, you're going to have new guys at linebacker. You're going to have new guys on the D line. So the, the that's kind of a, a two-sided coin. Like the one is that if, if you know, you, you read off the teams they beat and that they blew out, a lot of them were just really bad teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say the Ravens aren't very good, but, you know, you're talking Browns, you're talking the Bills four years ago. They weren't the same team they are now. Dolphins haven't been good for a while, but, yeah. you know, but by the same token, neither of the Jets. But the Jets are a complete unknown because, the new, you know, I mean, it's it's refreshing. And this kind of goes back to what we were saying, that the job Joe Douglas has done. I don't think it would be unrealistic to say that three years ago, even two years ago, you'd come into the season and think Bryce Huff might be the best pass rusher on this roster. Right. Yeah, but now sure. now he might be the sixth best pass rusher on the roster. Like, you know, if JJ's healthy, if Clemens is the real deal, I'm expecting a, a leap from Quinn and Williams this year. A lot of people are. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys, you know, you got Martin who I, I think doesn't get talked about enough. I don't talk about him enough to be fair. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you bring, you bring him in. They have a lot of guys now who can pressure the quarterback and hopefully the DBs to make plays off that. Now that's all what we're hoping. We don't know what these guys are actually going to be. So the jets are a huge unknown right now. I mean, every team is to start the season, but when you're talking about, you know, we've imported four or five pass rushers in one offseason. Um, and John Franklin Myers, who I think was better than he gets credit for last year. People say, you know, he quit after he got his contract. You watch him on film, the intensity was still there. He was still getting the hits and the pressures. Um, I don't think people realize sometimes the difference between a pressure and a sack, you know, it was literally a millisecond. Right. Um, and you, you don't you don't get like 20, 30 pressures if you're mailing it in and you've decided not to try anymore. You don't mm-hmm. accidentally get 25, 30 pressures. Um, so I think this D-line is it has the ability to be a force. That being said, it's a lot of new talent, but it's the first time they're stepping on the field together and you're playing Lamar Jackson. I mean, you step on the field with this many new guys on any side of the, on either side of the ball, there's you were going to make mistakes. There will be miscommunications, there will be hiccups. And if the if you, you know, if you if you were to say to me, you're going out. You're going out to play, and you've got a brand new defense. You know, six, seven, eight, nine new guys who are going to play a ton of snaps. Who's the last quarterback you want to play? It's probably Lamar Jackson. 100. You know, as much as he's, I'm not saying he's the best quarterback in the league. I'm saying he is the one guy that can make you pay dearly, quicker than anybody else when you make a mistake. Yeah. So would it? Would I expect the Jets to get blown out? I don't expect them to, but hey, you know who knows. Um, but this is probably the worst matchup you can hope for, for any team stepping on the field to play, you know, their first full game together. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned it 32nd defense last year. And you said it, is this the quarterback you want to face? Absolutely not. He'd probably be the last quarterback I'd list of all the quarterbacks that I'd want to face. And it's not just the fact that he's a good passer. Obviously we know he can run, but he's, he's got enough weapons that he plays to the jets weaknesses. Our cornerbacks, Last year, couldn't stop a tight end. Our slot corners, like Michael Carter, was going up against Gasecki. I remember that. And it didn't look good. So that's obviously what we're going to see with Andrews, unless they decide to put a safety on him. Maybe I've heard Tony Adams could be that guy. So it does not look good on the surface. And like you said, yes, this could be a worst-case scenario for the last-place defense. Um, let's move into some key matchups. Uh, I, I just briefly looked at the Ravens depth chart on overlap uh, our lads excuse me and mm-hmm. they're pretty thin on defensive line 
So their only names on the defensive line, uh, defensive edge positions or anybody that will rush the quarterback from the outside are Kalias Campbell, Brent Urban, Adafe Owe, who was a rookie last year, and Justin Houston, who's a veteran. So that's only four names of edge rushers. And we talked about tackle just earlier. So my key matchup was going to be Dwayne Brown, George Fant versus these edge rushers, because I thought it was going to be an advantageous matchup now that Brown's out for two days or two days of practice and it's not looking great for the game. I don't think the Ravens have anybody they're going to upgrade onto the defensive line. Um, so it's looking like that's going to be their their edge group. So maybe they can still take advantage, but I, I you got to hope that Dwayne Brown gives them some chance if he plays to actually stop this pass rush and take advantage. So that was the first matchup that I had. Um, my second matchup, I flipped over to the Jets defense. I had Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed versus Rashad Bateman and Devin Duvernay. Obviously, we don't know what Gardner is. He wasn't targeted one time in 24 reps in the preseason in coverage. So obviously you like to see that. But at the same time, you want to see the rookie get tested. Um, going up against Rashad Bateman, that's a good test. I think he's going to be able to win more often than not. So it's a good a good starting test for, for sauce. It's not going to be overwhelming out the gates. And then you look on the other side, DJ Reed versus Devin Duvernay. I, for everything that we've heard about DJ Reed from the coaching staff, you would expect this guy to be a stellar lock solid cornerback uh, one. Um, we haven't seen him in the preseason. So he's a big question mark. He was back at practice yesterday, he played again today in practice. So trending in the right direction. And it's another one that I think they can take advantage of. We know we've been, all over Twitter, you can see the Ravens wide receiver core is getting dragged by Jets Twitter. Um, I think you should group the pass catchers totally into that group and probably not make fun of them. But that's neither here nor there. So I think the cornerbacks specifically have an advantageous matchup in this one to really get it, at, like go after the wide receivers, shut them out mostly completely and make Lamar rely on his running backs and tight ends. So those are my two matchups. I'm not sure what your matchups are, but I felt pretty confident that the Jets could win in these position groups. Yeah, I think to me, the, the two biggest ones um, are Quinnen Williams going against Tyler Linderbaum. You know, I remember okay. years ago, I remember um, Nick Mangold, you know, obviously in this situation, the Jets player is the offensive player. But I think it kind of rings true with a lot of veterans. Um, when somebody asked Nick Mangold, um, you know, which player did you like to face most? Like, when did when did you look at the schedule or, you know, when did you feel like, I know I'm going to have a good day against this guy? Mm -hmm. And Nick Mangold's answer was any rookie. Like, if I was playing a rookie, I knew that I, I knew things he didn't know and I could take advantage of that. Um, Quinnen Williams isn't exactly a nine or 10 year vet, but he's got a couple years under his belt. And Tyler Linderbaum, this highly touted guy, um, as I said a little while ago, I'm expecting a big year from Quinnen Williams. If he comes out and gets dominated by a rookie, that'd be a terrible look, um, no matter how highly touted he is. But I think I think Quinnen Williams is going to win that matchup, and that's going to be good. That's going to play a big role in getting Lamar off of his spot, which isn't always a good thing, though, right? We don't want him running. right. Um, but if he does, the guy that we talked about off the air earlier this week, Quan Alexander, I think I don't think there's another linebacker on this team that really has enough speed to keep up with him. And I think if any backer has a chance to make some plays against Lamar Jackson, it's, it's Quan Alexander. So to me, it's, it's Quinn and Williams against Tyler Linderbaum in the middle. And then Quan Alexander, just if I'm the Jets, I would imagine 
he's going to spend a lot of time spying um, inside when when uh, when Lamar with Lamar under center because you've got to have somebody who can get to him. I don't see Mosley being that guy. I don't know how many how many three linebacker sets we'll see. You know, we've talked in the past about how the defenses around the league, you know, is so much of it is nickel and dime sub packages that you don't see a lot of four three and a lot of true three four and four three looks. Right. So maybe you go nickel and maybe maybe you have a corner, uh, you know, spying him. But I think if any linebacker does, it's going to be Quan Alexander. And I, th- he, I think he's going to take a lot of snaps from Quincy Williams. Quincy is fun to watch. The big hits are great. But the mistakes, you know, they 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 hurt you. And he's not he doesn't do the good things consistently enough. Where I think Quan Alexander is a, a veteran who's just more reliable to do the right thing, sort of be in the right place. And I think he'll see a lot more reps. So those those are the two big ones that I'll be looking at. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see James Prochet. Um, yeah, who matches up against him? Um, really, for the simple fact, he's he's one of these guys. He's entering his third year. This is supposed to be his his opportunity. Um, I loved him coming out. Um, I I think I mocked him to the Jets at one point. Mm-hmm. That guy's hands were just to me the best in the class that year. For all the good receivers that were coming out that year, the catches he made um, in college were just off the charts. And I remember thinking. I would love the Jets to grab this guy, and he's kind of a player I'm going to watch as he, you know, as he progresses and see if he makes it in the league. Um, and now is it looks like he's going to get a shot this year. And if Reed and Gardner is are as good as advertised, then I would imagine Prochet is going to see some targets. Yeah, and as much as I like Michael Carter, I don't know if he necessarily has the speed to keep up with James Prochet. So that that definitely will be an interesting one. And I'm glad you mentioned Quinnen versus Linderbaum because in the same light of we were talking about Max Mitchell possibly getting taken advantage of on the edge. Our veterans could take advantage of their rookie on the interior. So it's a big chess game essentially of trying to take advantage of the young guys. So I like that one there. Um, let's do, let's do the roster battle and, and compare strength of, of roster. Um, I don't know if you're comfortable with it, but I want to start on defense because yeah, whatever you want to do, man. Cool. Because I think, Defensive line, we'll start there first and foremost. It's the Jets. We just talked about how many players the Ravens didn't have at edge rusher, yep. and their their nose position isn't great either, and their rookie Travis Jones is not looking like he's going to play. So I give the defensive line hand over fist to the Jets. How about you? Yeah, that's that that's probably the easiest group to give to the Jets because, um, again, because of that depth on that D-line, I think there's a – they, I, I was really surprised too when I, you know, when we decided to do this. When I went and looked up Baltimore's roster, they just they weren't as strong up front as I expected. Right. Um, but again, they're they're a very well coached team, which which will make up for some of that. But just in terms of pure talent, the Jets should be able to. They should be the much better team up front. Cool. All right. So one for the Jets linebackers. This one was tough for me because we just talked about the unknowns of what the linebacking core for the Jets is. And then you look at the Ravens linebacker core and outside of Patrick Queen, they don't really inspire you with a ton. They have Josh Bynes, Malik Harrison, who was a rookie two years ago. And then they have Delshawn Phillips as their third linebacker. So realistically, I'm cool with giving this to the Jets. I had the Ravens written down, honestly. But I'm so cool giving this to the Jets because I think the upside of what Mosley and Quan and Quincy could be is much better than what I think Patrick Queen and company could be. So I'm going to give the linebackers to the Jets. Yeah, I um, I I put this down as a push initially, which I wasn't going to do any. I was just going to give it advantage yeah. everywhere. 
Um, I initially, I gave it a push, but I think I was, I, I think in my mind, I, I didn't want to come across as a homer and give the Jets everything that was close. But the more I thought about it, I was like, you know, with Mosley, with, with Quan Alexander, if he's a hundred percent, um, and, and with, with Quinn and Williams or with Quincy Williams, I think it's, I don't think it's off the mark to say the Jets are the better group. Um, again, when I looked at the Ravens roster there, I was, I came away really surprised at how thin they were in the front seven. Yeah. And we'll get into the the front seven a little bit later. I, I wrote a little bit about them. Um, cornerbacks. This is where I think it gets a little lopsided. Obviously, we love Sauce, and we're hopeful that DJ Reed is going to be as good as the coaches have advertised him to be. I'm still not comfortable giving it to the Jets until we see it. I'm very let's see it before we believe it kind of yeah. kind of spectator on that, you know. So, cornerback, I had to give to the Ravens, even with uh, Marcus Peters limited with a knee. They still have Marlon Humphrey. They got uh, Kyle Fuller in the slot, so they're loaded at at cornerback. So I'm going to give that one to the Ravens. Same here. Um, and really the same reason. I feel like the Jets could be as good, but there's there's nothing we can say we've seen that, you know, if, if you do give the Jets that, that you are just kind of being a homer and, you know, well, Sauce is the number whatever pick and we expect this. Right. We expect and, and I do expect them to be great. Exactly. Um, but if they've not played a single game yet, um, you know, and, and and it will make me somewhat of a hypocrite because I, I will like when we look at the receivers, I am going to take Garrett Wilson in, into consideration. Um, and that might be because he's far, he's further down on the depth chart. So you're not counting on him to be your top guy, but in terms of the starters, um, I, I would give the Ravens the nod, but it w- I wouldn't be shocked if the jets corners were just as good. Yep. I agree there. All right. And then safety position again, I'm going to have to go Ravens, uh, Marcus Williams, Chuck Clark, Kyle Hamilton is their rookie first rounder from this past year. They still have Geno stone as a bench, uh, a rotational player. So, I'm going to go Ravens on that one. I think all we have is Jordan Whitehead until further notice. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's very tough. And I think that one was an easy Ravens. Yeah, I think um, I think Joyner is the the X factor there because, you know, we've heard about Mm -hmm. how he was solid for his first few years. Then he leaves in free agency and switches positions. He doesn't play as well. The Jets sign him with the idea of moving him back to safety where he was better before. Um, if he kind of gets to the level he was at previously and you have whitehead play, you know, then it's a little bit closer, but until, again, until we actually see it, I'm giving the Ravens the edge of safety as well. All right. So that means we had, it's, it's a tie two and two for defense. We had linemen and linebackers front seven for the jets and then back end secondary for the Ravens flipping over to the offensive side. We don't need to spend time on quarterback. I think it's obvious former MVP versus Joe cool. And Zach Wilson. So it's easy there. That's Ravens. Running backs. This is the Jets. To me, this is entirely the Jets. The Ravens are a huge question mark at running back right now. Even with Dobbins, if he's healthy. Don't know who's playing. Don't know how much they're playing. There's too many questions. Exactly. And uh, I don't know if you listened to Lamar's um, press conference. He kind of slipped a little bit and said something about, we'll see him in a few weeks about J.K. Dobbins. So I was like, oh. And they started yeah, getting retweeted I, I out. Hear, I didn't hear the presser, but I saw someone tweet that Lamar, someone tweeted about him saying that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, even if they don't have Dobbins in week one, I still would have taken him if he was healthy. So I would have taken the Jets regardless. So I think the talent of Michael Carter and Brees Hall, and uh, I haven't listened to a Fleur's presser yet, but he said Michael Carter is the heartbeat of this offense. I saw that tweet and I was like, yep, that's confirmation. Uh, I'm not a huge fantasy guy, but I thought Michael Carter was being totally – undervalued in fantasy 
and Brees Hall was like a third round pick or something like that. So I was like, that's really? got to change. It's not going to be that way in the beginning, at least. So cool. One for the Jets, one for the Ravens. Uh, wide receivers. To me, this is the Jets. Jets have a ton yeah. of talent. Easy, two easily. two easily. top picks, plus Corey Davis, Braxton Berrios. I think Braxton Berrios is probably better than Devin Duvernay if you were putting it tit for yeah. tat. So yeah. I think that's an easy, easy Jets one there, which is great. It ends. I think we hit a little bit of a, a, a halt. I think it's it's close to a push. Again, I'm going to use the until we see it right. method, and I'll, I'm going to have to say the tight ends for, for Baltimore are better. Mark Andrews is so good. Nick Boyle is always going to be their blocker. And, I mean, what we saw from Isaiah Likely as far as a pass catcher, I know mm-hmm. he's kind of got deficiencies in the in the blocking game, but we've both watched a lot of Likely when he was coming out last season. So yeah. he was somebody that we definitely liked, and I think as their – third tight end that's really good and i love the jets tight ends i've been yeah. on my soapbox screaming about how great this is that the tight ends have been overhauled uzama conklin rucker and i love lawrence cager that's my guy up athletic upside is is what i've been yeah. preaching so i was so close to saying a push but i'm honestly just gonna say it's like 55 45 on the yep. ravens so. I, I agree and it's again it's uh it, it's it's because andrews is so good that yes. he's what puts it over. If we were going depth one through three, I I might say the Jets, but mm-hmm. um, you know, in terms of the starting, you know, you figure the the majority of your sets you're going to run more two tight end than you are three tight end. So I'm looking at it yes. the top two, and Andrews is head and shoulders above the Jets two starters. So I'm giving it to the Ravens, but same as you. I'm I love this tight end group. Um I did a show of a couple months ago. I think it was actually yeah, it was it was with Scott Mason who I mentioned earlier and he was saying who were some of the surprise players and and this was pre-camp. And I said Lawrence Cager, man, like I I want that guy to make the roster. I want yep. him to find a way. I think the guy just has such great hands, great length. I feel like if you have in the middle in the middle of the field uh it, I don't think it's a stretch to say the Jets fourth tight end right now might be better than their one and two that they've had the last 5 6 years. Um, I would, you know, even though Lawrence Cager has like one NFL catch, I would, I would take him over a lot of the guys the Jets have started. So I love the Jets group from top to bottom, but, uh, I'm giving the Ravens the edge here. Yeah, that was definitely a tough one. All right. Last group on offense, offensive linemen. Uh, it's, it's another close one. I, I looked at it's, their, at their roster. I saw obviously Linderbaum is new for them. Zeitler is new for them. And Morgan Moses is new for them coming from the Jets, obviously. And then I saw that Ronnie Stanley is limited and it's not looking great for his chances of week one. Mm-hmm. To me, that makes me want to lean the Jets. I know we haven't, and I've been, I'm kind of being a hypocrite. We'll believe it when we see it with this offensive line, especially. But if Dwayne Brown is healthy and Ronnie Stanley does not play for the Ravens, I think this is the Jets. And I think that they can actually be much better than the Ravens offensive line, at least while Stanley is out. So yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. And I agree with what you're saying. You know, we are doing a lot of believe it when we see it. But, mm-hmm. we, you know, this is a little different in that, you know, like the new guys, Lake and Tomlinson, Dwayne Brown, we know they are very good players. Like they yeah. have proven they can play in this league. We saw AVT last year getting better as the season went on. So these guys, they may not be proven as a group, but they are proven commodities along the line. Uh, Connor McDermott, of course, or uh, Connor McGovern, rather. Not you know not an all world player, but a but a you know I would say an above average player. So no real mm-hmm. weaknesses there as long as those starters are playing. Um, if they're out, if McDermott's on the field, then it's it's Baltimore all the way. Yeah. Um, but if if both units are fully healthy, I can see why you go Jets. But I'm going to go Ravens only because 
I'm taking the pessimistic view. I don't, I have a bad feeling about the Dwayne Brown thing. I think missing two practices this late in the week, I don't expect him to play. And that's why I would go Baltimore. Yeah, I think those are all good points. And I think it's even closer than the, what I said for tight end 55 45. It'd probably be like even like 51 49 yeah. for the Jets. It's, so it's, it's splitting hairs, literally. And it, it is. But I think there's more upside with the Jets due to being a little bit younger and possibly a little bit more talented on the interior. But that's that's great. So we had I had three for the Jets on offense. You had two. So it comes down to coaching. And if I, I don't think it's going to go in the Jets favor, unfortunately. So it looks like the Ravens are going to win overall when you break it all down by two. I have the Ravens coaches. I assume you have the Ravens. Coaches. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. And really, you know, we're, we're doing this as a sort of tail of the tape. You know, they used to yeah. do this every year with like, you know, Super Bowl matchups. I like doing it position by position like this. But obviously, we're not weighing position value. Like Lamar Jackson right. plays the most important position, and he's right. so much better that that sort of that one outweighs three or four wins at the other positions. Exactly. Um, so, you know, it's, it's fun to do. But I think uh, I think Lamar is such a difference maker. I think the Jets biggest hope. Um, is that Lamar didn't practice, you know, all through camp. Maybe yeah. he'll be a little rusty. Right. Maybe even even if he's rusty for a half, you know, even if he needs the first half to get settled in and maybe yep. you get up by a score or two, force a fumble, you know, you give yourself a shot. But uh, if Lamar plays clean, then, then uh, you know, you're in trouble. Yeah. And like you said, it, it all positional value not included in this exercise. Yeah. Yeah. I thought the Jets – ended up a lot closer than I like it just looked like when you mentioned it to me, I was like, Oh no, this is going to look so bad on the pod. And right. I dug into it and I was like, no, the jets have good talent on this roster. So I'm not going to, you know, and it's not lopsided in any way. Sure. Yes. When you get into the positional value, it could be a little skewed because of Lamar and everybody else like that. But I think the jets roster is pretty on par for a bad team trying to get a lot better. So this is, like we said, it's not a great start as far as quarterback choice and offensive scheme choice, but on on paper, this roster is not as bad as people have seen it to be in the past. Let's just put yeah. it that way. So. No, absolutely. Um, I, and then you know, I'm, I'm going to veer off a little bit here and touch on something because this isn't something we discussed pre-show mm-hmm. about topics we would cover. But I tweeted about it yesterday, um, and to me, the answer seems blatantly obvious. And a few people said that to me. You know, I had a few people, why are you even asking this question? It's so obvious. Not to everyone. I mean, 30% is far from a majority, but that's a big chunk of Jets fans. 30% of fans said that if the Jets don't take a step forward this year, Joe Douglas needs to go and not Robert Sala. Um, I I wholly disagree with that. Um, I think at this point, I don't know anyone. Like, yes, you do have fans who don't follow that closely. And they don't really, they don't know what's going on. You have fans who just hate one guy or another for whatever reason. But in terms of like respected, informed, knowledgeable, whatever, fans, pundits, I don't know anyone that hasn't raved about the improvements the Jets have made. You know, as I've said, Brees Hall, yes, we have to see how it pans out on game days. He might bust. Everybody might bust. We don't know. But Brees Hall is the most physically talented running back the Jets have had in my time as a fan. His combination of speed, power, vision 
agility, his ability to cut and make guys miss. They've never had a back like this in my time as a fan that I can recall. The receiver depth, I mean, Jesus, it's a few years ago, Robbie Anderson was the only good receiver on the team. And I loved Robbie because he was the only guy who might make a damn play on Sundays. But he might be the fourth or fifth guy on this team if, if he was on mm-hmm. this roster. Mm-hmm. Well, probably fourth. But, I mean, the, the talent is so much better. You've got, you've got you know, a, a, a superstar guard that you've added in the in the in free agency in Tomlinson, you drafted a guy who you hope and who looks like he's going to be one on the other side in AVT. You've solidified the center position. You have a guy in Fant who can flip side to side and do a decent job. I mean, Gardner, Reed, this team is so many, it's light years above where it was even last year. So to say that if they, God forbid, God help me, if this team goes and wins four or five games this year, and you tell me Joe Douglas is the problem and not Robert Sala, I, I can't I, – I don't know how to respond to that if someone is – like, I see it and I think, okay and, – and I'm not knocking this. Not not everyone is blessed enough or not fortunate enough to spend the amount of time watching this team that some of us do. Some people are part-time fans. They catch a headline. They catch 10 minutes of WFAN. They see the odd tweet, and they don't really know what's going on. Mm-hmm. I get that. But for anyone who's paying attention and is a diehard fan and looks at this roster and how it's evolved over the last two or three years, and if you were to say, if this team is no better this year, it's it's Joe Douglas's fault. What more can – I mean, as we said, he could have done better at tackle. But listen, if we dissect every GM from the beginning of time, you'll find moves they could have, should have, would have made. That what Not every move works out. Mistakes are made by everybody. But across the board, like I, just, I said earlier, the number three and four tight ends right now would be the number one a couple years ago. The number one receiver from a couple years ago wouldn't even would hardly see the field now. The O-line is light years ahead. They have more pass rusher. The, the best pass rusher two years ago was the fifth or sixth best pass rusher now. Yep. Again, hype, what's JJ? We don't know. Clemens, we don't know. But you get what I'm saying. Exactly. The, the amount of the number of supremely or I should say the, the guys with who are who have more talent significantly more than the guys they're replacing to tell me that no improvement would be the GM's fault. I I don't know what reality you're living in. I don't. Yeah. I, I actually missed that, that poll or else I probably would have quote tweeted it and been like the fact that anybody can answer this. Like it's, it's, it's hard to even pick one or the other, in my opinion, because Say your case is to fire Joe Douglas after a bad year of just from a wins perspective. Say you win five five games and it's not enough and they want to cut ties with Joe Douglas. I think you would have to look at the quality of those games. Like maybe they lost four or five or six one score football games. That to me says he's getting enough talent on the roster to compete. Like if they're getting their doors blown off 53 to 14 to the Patriots every week. Yeah then that's a talent problem and it's probably a coaching issue too. So it's very hard to, without seeing anything yet, obviously blame who, who would be first to go. I think naturally the, the fans as a whole would think Joe Douglas needs to go just based off how long he's been here and he's had more time to fix it. But in my opinion, I think he's done such a good job of gelling with the coaching staff and finding players that fit their scheme and I think he did the same thing with Adam Gase. Don't get me wrong. I just think it was a poor coaching 
from there. Like Douglas got him what he needed or what he thought he needed, and he couldn't put the pieces together. Obviously, we haven't seen Salah put the pieces together. I think he still can, and I think the defensive line being six, seven deep, like you just mentioned, is going to help. But it's so hard for me to definitively say one person is to blame. So even if we have a bad season, like four win season, I am I still have to say I'm not going to fire anybody until I know the the full details of everything. Right. Yeah, of course. And, and I say that all the time. You know, when I hear people say if this team wins and, and it's, it's interesting because it, it applies to teams who are in the jet situation and it's it's sort of a it, it's not a good thing but they were they were and I may have done a whole episode on this uh, a couple months ago they were so bad last year that they could be a lot better this year and still not win that many more games right like but that's a bad thing like last year you got outscored by 500,000 points well if this year you go 5 and 12 but you only got outscored by 47 points. It's like, look at the strides we took. Right. Which there is an argument to be made for that. But I think there are, like looking at the schedule, and yes, things can change. Guys get hurt. I get it. But looking at the schedule, in my mind, there are enough teams that the Jets have more talent than that they should be able to win. You know, they, sh- they should be able to win. I think they're, they're the over-under is like five and a half in Vegas right now. Yeah, it's I think that's relatively low. low. Yeah. I think this team's got to win a minimum of seven or eight games. Mm-hmm. And if they go out and win four or five, I, I don't see how, again, it, it would be how it unfolds. You know, if you lose a couple on, you know, when I hear, when I hear fans say, if you, if we don't make the playoffs, you got to fire the guy. All right. Well, what if you're playing for the playoffs in week 17 and you lose the game on a blown call? Right. You're going to fire the coach. Right. Like, or the GM where things are clearly trending in the right direction. Um, so anyway, we'll, we'll end it there. I don't want to go too far off track. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. I sure don't want to talk about a bad season already. Of course, but it, yeah. But the, the, the thought just crossed my mind, and I think um, I probably because a lot of the criticism we were seeing of Salah for his handling of the injuries, and I just thought, this guy's not doing himself any favors, and if they don't win some games in a hurry, you know, if they start out they start out one and five, one and yep. six. I can see it. The, the fans are going to – the fans are not going to be – you know, they're not going to be happy. So anyway, we can move yep. right along. Sure, not a problem. Next topic we have is positions that we're most and least excited for. I assumed this was season long, not just for week one. So um, I'll kick it off with my most. It will go most, most, least, least. Uh, my most, I had two positions because it was very hard for me to pick one. I've always been a, a huge fan of this wide receiver core. Since since Elijah Moore came on, I've been you know screaming wide receiver one from the rooftops. You as well. So that's the position that I'm super excited to watch. They have obviously Garrett Wilson in the fold now. So now you have two young dynamic players that tons of upside Braxton Berrios. I think people are still like kind of eh about Braxton Berrios. I think he's really going to be a part of this offense. Michael Fleur can count on Braxton Berrios. And I think he's going to have a role more so than just a gadget player. So wide receiver was one. And then the position that covers wide receiver cornerbacks. I'm so excited to watch this cornerback group. I mentioned it earlier. I'm a huge Michael Carter, the second fan. I think what he's doing from a mental perspective and a communications perspective, what I've watched just in the little bit of film, I only watched the starters in preseason because until we know the 53, it's hard to just sit there and watch 90 players that aren't going to make the team. But Michael Carter, the second was passing off routes to sauce and, and uh, I believe it was Bryce Hall on the other side for that game. And he was just 
he looked like a veteran. He's a second year player, but he looked like a veteran. And then we heard the story about Sala um, telling uh, the story about Michael Carter taking his helmet, uh, putting his helmet on and running onto the sideline or into the game just to coach up young guys because coaches couldn't be on the field. So just little things like that. Michael Carter gets me amped up. Obviously sauce and DJ get me amped up. So corner, I think tons of upside as well as wide receiver. So those are my two positions. What do you got for your most excited? Uh, most excited, it, the wide receivers, as you said, a lot of it because of the depth. Um, and really, I think uh, Berrios is interesting because I think uh, you're not wrong in what you're saying, but this is a nice problem to have. They have mm-hmm. enough talent on offense now that it's like there's only so many passes to go around. And, One ball. and, bo- and both your running backs are going to catch some of them. You yep. got three tight ends. You got two running backs who can catch the ball. And you got four or five receivers you want to see. Like there's only so many footballs. Yep to go around, but I think what'll help Berrios, um, I think, I think he probably was the quickest to build a rapport with Zach last year. Yes. Um, and I think we saw that carry on through the season. So I think the rapport they have will help, but, um, but it's going to be interesting. I mean, nice problem to have, right? Oh man. You know, you, we could see the jets third and fourth receivers put up better numbers than their ones and twos have in recent years. So, you know, it, it could be a lot of fun. You know, of course this is all best case scenario. So I'm really looking forward to the receivers and I'm really looking forward to the edge guys. You know, like I said, so much depth there. Are they finally oh, yeah. going to be, you know, be able to pose a threat um, and and get to the quarterback or at least, you know, at least rattle some QBs, which, I mean, let's face it, it, it does, you got to give the defensive guys some credit. And I'm not saying that the Jets guys have been that good because they haven't. But you look at the league even 10, 12 years ago, you might have faced a good running quarterback three or four times a year. Now it's 12 or 13 times a year. Yeah. Like the guy's ability to escape and, and make plays with their legs – it's it's surprising to me when you see guys like like TJ Watt who get 17 18 sacks because you're not playing you know this isn't the Dan Marino days well Marino had the quick release so he didn't get sacked a lot but it's it's not the days of like these these plotting you know pocket mm-hmm. guys you know you think like Vinny Testaverde you know like you yeah. love Vinny but Jesus you know if he ran for 2 yards it was hilarious <laughs> yeah um defenses don't have that that opportunity anymore or they rarely have that opportunity mm-hmm. um so it's it is a lot tougher to get to the quarterback than it used to be but i think this group is going to be fun to watch yeah yeah for sure the edge group i think they were the one that i had to leave off just to fit into but um i don't know if, if you listen to it i didn't listen to it but um rich samini's flight deck podcast mentioned mm-hmm. something about a Corey davis trade that there are teams interested in Corey davis if the emergence of Mims actually does come to fruition. So thought that was interesting. And while we're on wide receivers, I wanted to mention that. Um, my least excited position, and this is so hard because we are such a new team and everything is so fresh and new that we don't know what any of it is. Right. I just had to pick linebacker. It's mm-hmm. a boring position. I know it's a huge position for this defense. It's an important one. And I think Mosley's going to be strong. I don't think he's going to be 168 tackles or whatever he had last year strong. But if he's a 125 plus tackle and then you add in Quan, you know, it's it's good, but like it's still not how much of the needle does it move if Quan gets hurt, you know, because then we're right. right back to where we were and Quincy Williams with his boneheaded mistakes, as much as we love him and his personality, it's so hard to watch a third and long turn into a first and 10 and then they'd score a touchdown two plays later. So not, not ideal there. Obviously it's hard to pick a least when I'm, when you're so excited, but that's just the one I had to, had to put in there. Yeah. I would say uh, not, not, not to pick on any one guy, but um, the, the safety spot, cause I think we're going to okay. see a fair bit of Ashton Davis. 
Um, and Joyner to me is he's such a huge question mark. I don't know how to feel about, you know, like I said, he's, you know, supposedly played all right a few years ago. Then he had, you know, he had some down years and then the Jets were hoping he'd bounce back and then he misses last season. So I don't know what to expect. Um, so now Whitehead on the other hand, I'm, I'm very excited to see. Um, but as a group, like to mm-hmm. me, Ashton Davis has a lot to prove and he doesn't, he hasn't been the player they hoped he would. And Joyner is a guy who, you know, is coming back from an injury and is was first coming off of some bad football and then mm-hmm. missed a year due to injury. So I'm kind of looking at it with, you know, like obviously hoping for the best, but there's that part of me that I could see that position being a bit of a problem. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was definitely one that, I mean, we've been saying it all off season separately on our own podcasts and Twitters that safety is not a position that we feel too, too great about outside of Whitehead. So I definitely would agree there. Um, moving on, I, I think this is going to be an interesting one throughout the season, a little topic that we do, and that's picking winners with or without the spread. Um, we're only going to choose three outside of, I'm assuming, outside of the Jets game because we will yeah. pick it by default. So I used FanDuel Sportsbook here, uh, the app in New Jersey. I'm not sure if lines change state to state, but in New Jersey, my first game that I picked was Green Bay minus two over the Vikings. I think uh, Green Bay is just out outmatching Minnesota on many facets. And you obviously have the two-time MVP in Rodgers. So Green Bay minus two. And then I picked somewhat of a easier one with San Francisco minus six and a half over Chicago. I think even with all the unknowns of Trey Lance, this offense and this coaching staff are way more experienced than the Bears who have a rookie head coach and GM or second year rookie uh, head coach and GM. So Obviously, just old like veteran versus rookie is the entire makeup of their teams just speaks to the 49ers, and I think they can win by a touchdown. And then the last matchup is NFC South matchup, New Orleans Saints minus five and a half over the Atlanta Falcons. Um, I don't think the Falcons are going to be too great this year. I think they're going to be a bottom five team picking high in the draft. So New Orleans with their defense, they, they're not going to miss a beat. I know Sean Payton's gone and he's a great coach, but Dennis Allen had been there, so he's going to just step right in. And I think if Jameis even plays okay, they could win this game by six points. So those were my three. All right. I'm going to go with um, – I, I agree. Basically, you know, you, you got to feel terrible for uh, what's going on with Justin Fields. Oh, yeah. That, that team the Bears have put together around him, makes uh makes makes the Mike McCagnan Jets look like a, an all-time great. I mean they just <laughs> they it's they, yeah, they, it don't, they, they don't have an NFL roster. Mm-mm. Um so it, it, like you said even with, with San Francisco being in bad shape, I think I think the Bears and their fans are in for a really long it, it almost looks like they're already playing for the number 1 pick. Like that's the plan. Right. Um, because they're not, they're certainly not approaching this like they want to win any football games. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- there, there are probably street free agents out there right now that are better than a lot of their starters. Um, Absolutely. And, they're, and they're not signing any of them. So I like, yeah, I think the Niners are going to win in a blowout. Well, not in a blowout, but I think they'll cover that easily. Um, I also like the, uh, the, the I mean, this game is going to be fun to watch. I'm so glad it's not on while the Jets are on because Denver, Seattle, I mean, oh, that, yeah. Denver, Seattle, give me, give me Russ Wilson revenge game. I mean, you got Russ Wilson going against, uh, you know, Geno Smith and Russ Wilson is only a six and a half point favorite. I'm taking that all day. And then uh, I'll take the chargers over the Raiders by three and a half. Um, okay. That, that, 
San Diego team. They, they, they always seem to find a way to not come up big in big games, but um, in the opener against the Raiders, I, uh, I like them to win that one. Yeah. I like that. I like that. We each included a divisional game at the end there too. That's awesome. All right. Um, I think it's time for bold predictions. Now we'll do bold predictions and then we'll do our uh, game prediction and then we'll move right into the college stuff to end it out for the last 20 minutes. All right. Sounds good. I'm going to, I'm going to just, we'll do one for one bold predictions and then we'll just give a little bit of feedback on what we think. My first one, it's a little, it's a little easing in, but it's a two parter. Um, I think the jets will either have offensive rookie of the year or defensive rookie of the year. I think, Brees Hall and Jermaine Johnson are the two that I'm circling right now. Obviously, it could change. It could be Garrett Wilson, and hey, if it's Michael Clemens, hell yeah. But um, those are the two that I'm circling right now. So I think the Jets – That it's not terribly bold, but I think the Jets will have an offensive or defensive rookie of the year on their team this year. Look at my first one. Saucer Hall wins. Yep, rookie of the year. <laughs> That's crazy. That is so funny. That's ridiculous. You started saying that. I'm like, he is not about to say that. Yeah, and it's yeah. not on the Google Doc, so I would not. No, have seen- I, I just, great. I just said bold predictions. That's yep. literally my first one. That's great. Um, I didn't even include Sauce there, so it, it realistically could be Sauce even more so than Jermaine because he's going to play every single snap. If yeah, healthy. exactly, exactly. I think, it's, yep. I think it's tougher for corners, but I think he could be that good. That's great. So yeah, Sauce or Hall, rookie of the year is uh that's that's mine um as well. Um, I'll, I'll, right. I'm gonna go with this one because I think I had this one last year, mm-hmm. and he missed some time, and they just I had um I may have said six, whatever I said. I'm saying seven sacks for Bryce Hoff. Um, okay. Yeah. You know, only only as he only had one or two each of the first couple of years, but I think when you look at you know, and we've talked about this a lot, you look at his win rates, his the number of pressures he gets per snap, he mm-hmm. he he. he he beats his man, you know, sort of at a level that elite guys do. But I think the reason the sacks haven't been there is because the secondary has been so bad. Yes. But I think with that improved secondary and give him that extra split second to get there, I think he's a guy who can get to the quarterback. Um, that final preseason game, I've you know, even as I'm watching it, you know, he's in late in the game and it's like pressure after pressure. And I just, yep. oh, I just see the quarterback running from Huff, running from Huff the whole time. And it turns out, I think uh, PFF, somebody said he had like nine pressures or something like that. Yeah, I was going to say it was close to double digits. Yep, nine or ten. Yep, great game. So seven sacks for Huff is my other one, which, again, you know, it's not earth-shattering, but when you're talking about a guy who's only ever had one or two, seven's a pretty big number. Yeah, for sure. And that's actually really funny because my second bold prediction is this defense will have two players to have eight or more sacks. So – my thinking yeah. was probably Quinn and Williams, yep. um, John Franklin Myers, and Carl Lawson were my top three, not in any specific order, but right. a combination of an edge guy and an interior guy. I don't think both edge, like both eight plus sack guys, will be on the exterior. I think one will have to come from the the middle. But yeah, I think with everything we've seen from the defensive line, I know it was the Giants' backups in Week Three of the preseason, but they looked explosive. From wire to wire, they were so much more physical than the offensive mm-hmm. linemen for the Giants. So I don't care if it's backups or starters. You should want to be physical, and you don't want to get out outmanned, essentially. And that's mm-hmm. what they did. So if that's just a, a harbinger of what we're going to see in the regular season, I'm so excited. Yeah. I think eight sacks for two players is totally sustainable in this defense. Yeah, I, I think I think 10 really is, you know, yeah. wouldn't yeah. surprise me at all. Yep. I mean, funny as it sounds, I've, how many times have we mentioned pass rushers in this show? And I, I, that's I haven't mentioned Carl Lawson once. Exactly. Like, that was the first time like, I did too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, there's, you know, again, it's all potential and, and hope and all that, but 
you forget about him because he missed all of last year. But geez, if you, I don't know if you watched him. If you go back and watch that, I might have been the second snap of the game. Um, was a pass play for the Giants. And to be fair, their left tackle was an inexperienced guy. Uh, I, I don't even remember his name. He's not a regular starter. But it was the first pass rush. You know, when that game started, I was like, I want to yes. see Carl Lawson on his first pass rush. He blew that dude in the backfield. I mean, yeah, yeah. He was a 315, 320-pound yeah. man, and that dude went flying. I was it got like, me amped up. He is, yeah, Carl Lawson is ready to roll. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I completely forgot about him. Like, this – I'm telling you what, man, the talent's there. Exactly. That's, I think the Jets have been so bad for so long that we're not only cynical, but we're almost scared to say it because you yes. don't want to say it and see them win three games and you feel like a damn moron. Of course, but of course. This this team, man. If they don't win games, it's not due to lack of talent, in my it's, opinion. Like, exactly. It's, it's exactly. so hard. Exactly. So, yeah. So, okay. So, that was – is it my turn now? Yep, yep. You're number two. I'm going to say uh, career high receiving yards for Conklin. I'm going to say he goes for seven, 750. Oh, hell yeah. That's a good one because it's not a terribly low bar at 580-something, but it's definitely clearable in this offense and the way he was producing at tight end one exactly. in the preseason. Exactly. Yeah. Especially definitely. if the O-line struggles a little bit and he becomes kind of a safety valve. Exactly. Those little stick routes over the middle just sit down yep. at five yards in the zone. Absolutely. That's a good one. All right. Offense. I'm sticking with offense. Mike LaFleur will average – two trick plays per game so when we get to the end of the season we might have you know 20 plus trick plays in the bag and i think mike lafleur is going to start them out early with this ravens defense i think we're seeing them third quarter of the ravens game even second quarter if something you know gets a little hairy we're, we're gonna see we're gonna see mike lafleur open up the bag and i think this is gonna be the start of when jets fans get nervous that he gets poached as a coach not this year maybe I'll in tell two you what, years I, but I, I don't know what week it was, but it was early last year when he did some of the stuff he did. And I was like, oh, this guy's not staying like he's somebody's taking him in the next couple of years. He's gone. That, that's so the hard, worst yeah. thing about having a great coordinator. You know, yes, Jets exactly. haven't had that problem very often. But, no. um, it, it you know, wasn't long with some of the stuff he did. And then when he got like the wild stuff, the lateral at midfield, I was like, this guy is nuts. Those third and, and 15s. Yeah. That, yeah, and he he's gonna go. So, yeah, he's but that, that that'd be a ton of trick plays. But he ran a lot last year with not a lot of talent. So was he was he running it because of the lack of talent? Now this sure. year he go more conventional, or does he say, oh well, now we have now we have some more toys to play with. Let's now we get got both here. Exactly. Yeah. So let's and Brad Smith, man, I'm I'm not Brad Smith, <laughs> Jeff Smith, because <laughs> both, both former both former college quarterbacks who play yes. receiver. Yes, that's what I was gonna say. We haven't seen Brad Smith. We haven't seen Jeff Smith throw a pass for them yet. But I think uh, I think he'll get involved in in, in a little bit of trickery. Mm-hmm. I can see. Um, it. And my last one, um, I'm not even sure if I want. This is a gut feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I'm not even sure I want it to happen because it would look bad for the front office. But I'm gonna say Michael Clemens will have a more impressive rookie season than than JJ. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's it's totally realistic. I mean, JJ, he's gonna be targeted more on offense they're going to look to block him more until somebody like michael clemens steps up and says oh shit now we got to focus on this guy over here so i completely agree that he could get off at least to a hotter start maybe his finish is similar but if if michael clemens does what he did in the preseason absolutely he's going to be talked about and praised way more than uh, jermaine johnson would so i could totally see that i like that one this one it's it's a three-parter it all has to do with wins. 
So that makes me really nervous. Um, Joe Douglas will get his first September win. I don't think he's won one. The last September win the Jets had is uh, Darnold in Detroit. Um, we're going to get our first division win under Joe Douglas. Haven't had one of those oh, in how three low is years. This bar? <laughs> yes, exactly. And then the last part is uh, three and three. The bus is going to be on time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. I, I said three and three in the division. And I think that's the bold part of it. Obviously, Joe Flacco doesn't inspire wins in September. But if he can get one, I think that's definitely feasible. The first division win, come on now. Like, this is a joke. If we can't compete in our own division, that's the easiest way to the playoffs. You win your division. I'm not asking you to win it. I'm just asking you to go 500. Beat just somebody, yeah. Sweep one team and beat another team once. We know we're not going to beat the Bills unless they play their third strings in week 17. I don't even think that's our, our opponent. So it doesn't matter. We're it's, <laughs> it's the Dolphins and the Patriots. So three and three, is that's my bold for the for the season. Yeah, well, yeah, considering the way things have gone for them, that is because again, it's 0 and six and it's 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 <laughs> oh and six the last couple of years. That's atrocious. That can't so happen bad. in the division. Um, and the thing, you know, the thing with the, the Dolphins, like I don't think two is that good, but they do have he's accurate and they have these yes. guys that can make plays with the ball in their hands. If you scheme them open, he's gonna hit them and you better you better be ready in the secondary or Miami's gonna put up some points. Hundred percent, hundred percent. All right, now is the time. We're going to give our Ravens-Jets predictions. Um, I'm going to let you go first because I need to tweak my my final score here, but I think my thought process is going to be the same. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, I'm going to say 27-20 Ravens. I uh, hate to say it. I think the Jets keep it within a touchdown. But I just I just think, as I said, and I'm not it, – it, it's the Lamar factor. It's, it's the fact that this defense has yet to play a football game together – and the first time they're getting on the field to do that, they've got Lamar Jackson on the other side. And they're on the road. Um, this is one of those where if the Ravens won by 20, it wouldn't shock me. Sure. But, um, well, you know what? Having having said that, having gone through the rosters, that would shock me. The Jets should, at the very least, be able to control the clock a little bit and prevent, you know, right. prevent Baltimore from running away with it. Um if the Jets can't run the ball against a, a thin front like this, then they might be in some trouble. But listen, if, I think you have to come out throwing it early because I think Baltimore is going to say Joe Flacco's 100 years old, and until he makes some throws to prove that he can beat us, we're just going to stack the box and shut down shut down Hall and Carter. And if Joe hits on a couple throws, we'll back off. But until he does, seven and eight-man boxes, and you're not going to have anywhere to run. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, yeah, 20-point a blowout in in favor of the Ravens would definitely shock me. I think that would definitely be depressing knowing that it is September 11th in MetLife, you know, everybody's, you know, <clears throat> from from the national anthem and the flyover, everybody's going to have chills. That emotion's going to be so high. So yeah, blowout would definitely be a surprise for me. Um I'll go with my score first. I similar to yours. I have the Jets covering the six and a half at 28 to 21. I think we will score enough points. Um and, and just going back to the whole stadium atmosphere, I think if the Jets fans show up and they are rocking early in MetLife and the Jets match that energy and start fast, we could surprise the Ravens team that hasn't seen their starters play uh, in the preseason. Lamar Jackson only played a couple practices, I believe. I don't even know if he was in full practices. So he's very limited in what he has done throughout the entire offseason in, in terms of structured through the team obviously he's done workouts with his teammates so if the jets come out and punch them in the mouth early 
why not keep it close? Go into halftime and it's not 20 to nothing. You know, for once, like, let's show up early. I think the fans will definitely help with that. But it's it's going to be a difficult one. Like, we started at the top. It's This is a team that's been there. They've done that. This is a consistent team. Best coached all around, in my opinion, even though they have a new D.C. Uh, John Harbaugh is top three, in my opinion. Maybe top five in some people's opinions, but... Top three in mind. He's a consistent coach. We got our GM from their their tree, essentially. He came from the Eagles, but he was with the Ravens. Like this is yeah. the team you model your team to be like. So a loss doesn't surprise me. I just want to keep it close. Please, let's just keep it close and start the season off. If we lose by one score, I think that's that's a win. I, moral victories, nobody counts those. But twenty eight to twenty one is my final, and I think that it can be that close, if not closer, if they start fast for once. Yeah, and, and I think I screwed up. When I was giving my – I said on the road, but they're not, of course. They are, it doesn't meant life. Yes. But, um, but listen, with, with you know, I'm, part of this is, to be honest, is just not wanting to be a homer. Um, of but course. like I said, like we, we say all the time, man, if you win – you know, if you win in the trenches, you, you got a shot to win every week. Yep. And this is a game – The if again, Dwayne Brown has kind of becomes the X factor – if he's healthy, the Jets should absolutely win in the trenches. hundred percent. Then it's going to come down to, like I said, can Joe Flacco beat stacked boxes? And if that happens, the Jets could win this game. Um, yep. But I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm just, I want to temper my expectations, and I want to, as I said earlier, remind myself that it's the worst quarterback you can face for a new defense, and so that's why I'm going Baltimore. Um, I'll, I will probably, as I often do, put money on the Jets to win, even though I'm saying they're going to lose. Um, but I probably should stop doing that because I never <laughs> right. win bets. Um, but hey, the yeah, points. that's them with the points is pretty nice. Yeah, that's true. That's mm-hmm. true. All right, I think it's time now to get into our last fifteen minutes. Are going to be about the 2023 NFL draft. Anybody that expected Glenn and I to sit here for ninety minutes and only talk about current football and not the draft. I'm sorry. I I know we might take a viewer hit, and that's okay. But the draft but is you know it's the last 10, 15 this is, minutes. This is if not you only yes. wanted to hear pro and jets. You can you can tune out now. Exactly. But exactly. all we're gonna we're just gonna talk about a couple of games we're looking forward to watching and a couple of prospects that maybe yep. aren't. Uh, I was gonna on say we're not, yet. we're not looking at it like the season's over. Let's start mocking where the Jets are gonna who they're gonna no. pick at four or whatever. Yes, this is just a precursor. Let's just introduce everybody <coughs> to the draft. That's why I chose big teams for my two matchups to watch this weekend. I think everybody is going to be watching Alabama and Texas. I highlighted that one. Alabama, anybody on their roster that you want to watch that's a junior or higher in their career, we'll say, just watch them because they're probably going to be in the draft this year or next year. But guys that I had circled, Will Anderson, obviously he's the top edge guy in this class. He's probably going to go number one depending on a – who ends up as the number one pick Jameer Gibbs, who's a Georgia tech transfer. Um, it's very hard to watch Georgia tech football and get a good you know, idea of what these guys are going to be at the pro level, because it's not a pro offense really, in my opinion. So Jameer Gibbs is somebody I'm really excited to see break out. And then Jordan battle, the safety for Alabama um, just goes back to need. I think the jets might need a safety at the end of this year. So Jordan battle is somebody I've already watched and, and, a small deep dive on and i like what i see 
Now, uh, Texas, they have two guys, Bijan Robinson, their running back, who's another top prospect, probably going to be, you know, the, the mold top breaker. Back. Yeah. The mold breaker, as far as like, don't draft a running back high, like could be as high as like another Saquon, maybe not as high as two, but Zeke Elliott at four could be somewhere in that range. And then DeMarvian Overshone. This is somebody who's kind of an iffy prospect, but he's a safety converted linebacker. They kind of play him in a weird role, but it was it was fun watching him. He's a big player. So he's he's another guy that I'm keeping an eye on. I'm not sure if he's going to declare this year or not, but it, it all point all signs point to him declaring. So that was my first game. Yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a big overshone guy. Um mm-hmm. I wanted to sort of avoid this game because I figured it's what everyone would talk about, but there are sure. too many players I like to not talk about this game. Mm-hmm. Um, but Overshone was a guy I was going to discuss. Uh, um, and, of course, you have Xavier Worthy, the wide receiver, who is uh, an absolute monster. He's he's healthy, yeah. right? I haven't heard anything on him. Not, yeah, not Isaiah Nayer got hurt. He got hurt. Xavier he was Worthy, the guy. Yeah. Worthy Nayer is... was the Wyoming transfer that yeah. I was looking forward to seeing. Yep. He's eligible um, next year. Uh Xavier Worthy, he's available next year, I think. Right, yeah, yeah. He, he's, he's, he's 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 such so good. an explosive player, though. Yes, yeah. um, they also had a guard who I like, the left guard was it Aguilar? I forget, but he got hurt. He's out for the year. Yeah, he was one of the ones that tore his ACL, Junior yeah. Angelo or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Was, he was I, another I, one. I liked yep. him. Yep. Yeah, it was unfortunate, but uh, yeah, that's a good matchup. But like, I think the first because Texas wasn't very good the last couple years, but I forget. I watched mm-hmm. a few of their games last season. Um, Oklahoma, Texas, Oklahoma last year is one of the best games you'll ever see in your life. It was yes. amazing. Yes. Um, but overshown, which it might've been that game. I forget. I turned on a Texas game and I think in the first, within the first couple possessions, he had like a sack, a blocked punt, a forced fumble. He was just all over the place. Um, so he kind of got on my radar in that game mm-hmm. and I, I've liked him and everything I've, I've watched since. So, um, th- yeah, that game is going to be huge. Yeah. Basically Alabama, just anyone, anyone in junior or senior, they're probably going in the first round. Like, yes. that's, that's all you yeah. need to know. Exactly. That's all. You know what round? Well, Alabama, first round. Um, <laughs> but one game. It, this isn't. This is obviously not a big one. Um, but a couple of players I really like. I know a guy we talked about, uh, Dylan Jaden Reed, Michigan State. Um, didn't do a whole lot last year, but he. Uh, or sorry, he didn't. He didn't do a whole lot last week, but he yeah. had some opportunities. Um, he he was overthrown on a deep ball. He would have had a deep touchdown. His, the box score didn't look great, but um, the, the game will show that he played better than the num- the numbers show. Yes, uh, Xavier Henderson's a safety out there who I really like. And my my, this isn't. Uh, I'm not jumping on a bandwagon here. My um, I actually tweeted out during the offseason a couple months ago. Uh, I think I actually started a thread on Jet Nation forums too. Which, by the way, check out the forums at JetNation.com. Absolutely. Um. I, I said my favorite linebacker in this class was Jacoby Winman, who transferred from UNLV yeah. to Michigan State. And that I was like, I'm going to be watching nuts. this guy. I really like him. Uh, Michigan State apparently has converted him. He's, he's just going to play DN for them now, or at least that's where he's going to spend most of Which his time. Which is good. Which is good. Um, yeah. And it was it was, it was was actually really funny. Um, I was on vacation, as you know, Dylan. My Wi-Fi mm-hmm. wasn't great. I was driving back, like, the whatever 11, 12-hour drive from France. And um, – and I, I get my phone. I'm like, oh, Michigan State played yesterday. Let me see how Jacoby Winman, you know, if he did anything significant. And I didn't – I just Googled Michigan State football and all these headlines pop up. Record day for Jacoby Winman. Jacoby Winman – I was like, oh, my God. At four sacks, I go back and watch the game. Some of them were, were effort sacks with good, you know, coverage sacks where he didn't, you know, he didn't blow mm-hmm. past the, the lineman. 
but he had three or four other plays where he, I mean, we talk about game of inches. He, he very easily could have had seven or eight sacks in that game. Oh, and totally. I know, I know it was against Western Michigan. I get the, I don't care. No. Seven, four sacks against any collegiate team is impressive. Um, so Jacoby Winman is a guy I'm going to be watching all year. Like I said, he was my favorite player or my favorite linebacker in the, in this class uh, coming into the season. Nice to see him start off the year on, on a high note like that. And um, the other game I want to, I want to watch Wisconsin. Um, I just feel like Wisconsin every year. And I, you know, part of it is because there are so many questions on the Jets O line. Mm-hmm. Um, Wisconsin always seems to have quality NFL, NFL O line prospects. Right. So I think that, uh, they're always a good team to watch if that's what you're looking for. And I know they have a center in Tipman who's, you know, a lot of people are high on Jack Nelson. It isn't kind of getting as all that much attention, but a lot of these guys, you know, they can climb draft boards, but when I'm looking for O-line, I like to watch Wisconsin and uh, Michigan state. Again, they're playing Akron, so they're not playing a powerhouse. Yeah. Uh, but I, I still, Jacoby Winman's a guy that I want to try to, I want to try to catch all of his games this year because he's such an impressive player to me. Yeah, it's it's funny. I just pulled up my database to see what Wisconsin offensive lineman I had. And I haven't even done like the full offensive line overview yet. And I already have three names in there. So you yeah. can always count on them to be <coughs> a force for offensive line for sure. Yep. And it's funny because I was going to mention Jaden Reed as my obscure draft prospect, just because he's not being talked about as the top guy. Right. But I mean, I watched him uh last week like you were just saying against uh western michigan and it wasn't great he was also doing special teams return he got hurt and then he came back a little bit but yeah he had that missed touchdown and he's gonna be special i have him you know on my pretty high up on my watch list of not tier one wide receivers but that could sneak into tier one so that was awesome that you mentioned that my second game i'll just quickly um another big time game sec kentucky florida it's a quarterback matchup um obviously the Jets shouldn't be looking at quarterbacks in 2023, but Anthony Richardson for Florida mm-hmm. came in to this season with like 60 pass attempts in his career. And he was already mocked in the first round. So it was somebody that I had to watch. I'm not a huge Florida guy, but I had to watch knowing that there's somebody that polarizing that could be, I had to keep my eyes on that, uh, that game this past weekend. I'm blanking on who they just, who they just uh, beat Utah, Utah. They beat Utah. They ruined my parlay. Right. So Anthony Richardson's their quarterback. Um, Will Levis is the Kentucky quarterback. Yeah. He's also been mocked in the first round, kind of eased up a little bit. I'm not sure exactly what he did last week. Maybe people's opinions are a little over overblown after one week, but I'm not seeing his name. (laughs) I'm not seeing his name buzzing around as much, but big quarterback matchup there. But then uh, Florida has two defensive guys that I wanted to mention. Gervin Dexter, a defensive tackle. And Ventral Miller, I believe Ventral Miller is like a four or five year player at this point. I feel like I've heard his name say, so many. I was yeah, I've heard say, his name so many name, times, yeah. but I think this is actually going to be the year where he's eligible. So those are two guys on their defense that I'm looking for. But like you said, there's a lot of you know Akron versus Michigan State that I didn't want right. to highlight because I need two teams with good prospects to really right boom with uh, players to watch. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I like I said, I picked Michigan State because had we done this show last week, um, it would have been Michigan State. Because I yes. I, it was, I forget, I want to say it was like Utah State or somebody, not Utah State. Who was it? Maybe it was. Who did Alabama open against this year? Utah State. That's what I thought because I, yeah. I, when I saw the logo, that was the game I watched. I was actually watching Utah State UNLV to get a look at one of Utah State's receivers. 
And man, Jacoby Winman, I think he had 17 tackles. I was like, this dude is a monster. Yep. And then I watch him against Iowa State, and I see him get a run stuff at the goal line against Brees Hall, and he's just making plays against everybody. So I was like, this is my top guy. Like, I'm I'm watching him this year. So he, sure. he would have been my guy last week to watch, um, and I would have looked like I knew what the hell I was talking about. Yeah, right. Back. <laughs> but he's really going to be, for me personally, he's a guy I'm going to watch every week. Um, mm-hmm. I might even give for you sure. a Jacoby Winman update every week. But um, that's fine. I'll know. do the Jaden Reed one. We'll yeah, be offensive there defense. <laughs> there you go. So hey, green that's and awesome. white, right? Yeah, <laughs> but, right. Uh, yeah. So all right. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's almost time for kickoff there, Dylan. Oh, yeah. I almost forgot there's a game tonight. I can't believe we've made it. It's been so long and we've, we're here regular season 2022. Um, yeah, I guess we'll wrap it here. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. I, I saw we had some good viewers. We were up to 12 viewers there at one point, which is great for our first episode, I think, with very limited advertisement to say. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited for this year. I think what we got cooking at Jet Nation, I know you're still going to do some solo stuff. I'm still going to do some solo stuff. But coming on every week and giving, giving a 90-minute live, we'll do some mailbag eventually and stuff like that. I think it's going to be great. This is going to be awesome. Um, so, I guess until next week, you can follow me on Twitter at D Follow Glenn at AceFan23. Follow our guy Green Bean on YouTube, Green Bean Jets Fan, and on YouTube, uh, Twitter, excuse me, at Bean the Jets Fan. Until next time, go Jets. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.